Thanks, Kathy. So when we introduced the Psalms a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the, the reality that there are at least five themes in the Psalms. There are at least five kinds of Psalms. So what were they? Help, help us all remember what they were. Psalms of lament, or you could call it a psalm of complaint, or a psalm of, grie- of grief. That's one. Psalm of praise, okay. And then a psalm of thanksgiving, and I want to just distinguish between praise and thanksgiving. Uh, this is just something that people have said, but it makes sense that a psalm of praise generally addresses who God is. It talks about his character, um, who he is, and a psalm of thanksgiving talks more about what he has done. So I praise you, God, for who you are, and I thank you, God, for what you've done. So it's just a good distinction between praise and thanksgiving. And then what are the other two themes? We did the easy ones. Yeah, a royal, royal homage, we called it. There's psalms that talk about kingship or leadership, and either it's talking about a human king who's led by God, or it's talking about God himself as king. And then there was one more. Yeah, very good. All right. Good job. Yeah, wisdom. A wisdom psalm is something like the book of Proverbs, but it's, again, it's in poetry and uh, just has a little, it's usually put to music. It's a lyric. So it was a song. And part of the reason for singing the psalms was to learn them well. Aren't those the words you know best are words that you have sung, right? Even if you don't want to remember them. Like cake by the ocean. I just, it's a phrase I think of often and not that I want to. But it was put to music, and so it just, it's right there. And so we sing scripture, we sing truth, we sing the word of God uh, so that we remember it. So it's a teaching tool. So today's psalm, what do you think Psalm 23 is? Yeah, exactly. It's a psalm of praise, who God is. And it, it probably intermingles with Thanksgiving as well. So two things that we want to do today simultaneously. One is to have a fresh experience of the psalm, and the second is to learn a practice, an ancient practice called Lecto Divina. Anybody familiar with Lecto Divina? A couple, okay, all right, very good. So you can help me out as we go through this, but there are several ways to practice this discipline. It's quite old. Uh, It began with Origen, St. Origen, which was in the second century. So we're talking about an 1800-year-old practice. Uh, It's gone through a lot of morphing throughout the years. There's lots of ways to practice it. And in about the 16th century, a man named John of the Cross actually created the four stages of Lecto Divina that you see on the bookmark that I gave you. So that's what we're going to go through. So Lecto Divina, Latin, anybody know what that means? Yeah, divine writing or divine reading. Lecto is reading and Divina, Lectio, sorry, thank you, Lectio is reading, like lectionary, and then divine, of course, is sacred or godly, so it's a godly reading. The whole concept behind it is just the idea that we invite God into the experience of the reading. So we're paying attention to God in the midst of it. So on the one hand, you could simply take the scriptures and just read them, and you could think about them yourself and meditate, and that'd be great. That's a good thing. A divine reading is where you probably slow down a little bit, and you really invite God to talk to you in a unique way, and you make it a sacred experience uh, with God, a a communal experience with God. And so that's what we want to go through today. So um, yeah, let's just look at that beginning, step one or stage one. It says, read, read slowly, allowing the words to become familiar to your mind. Press into the details. 
A question you might ask is, what is the contribution of each word and phrase to the meaning of the passage? So for me, I liken this to that first step when you're putting together a puzzle. And if you do it right, because there's a wrong way, but the right way to start putting a puzzle together is to put all the pieces out on the table and turn them right side up and start to sort the edges. And what you're doing is, you're, is this is the right way, yeah? You guys agreeing? Okay. Amen. The wrong way is to grab a random piece and a random piece and go, uh, no, uh, no. <laughs> That's just no, there's no structure there. Come on. So you want to get all the pieces out. You want to turn them over and you want to put the edges around. And you're looking at every piece to say, you know, is this the top or the bottom? And you may even orient them if you can tell as you're doing it, is this up or down? And you're looking at everything to get a sense. And maybe you're even, if you go to that second level, sorting just a little bit. Like, oh, all these pieces have a lot of yellow. But you're noticing details and you're putting pieces where they go. That's what this first reading is. It's kind of noticing everything. And the reason for that is here's a hope here that you're going to learn something fresh in this reading today. And maybe as you go through those details, you're going to see something you've never seen before. And doesn't that happen pretty much almost every time you read? Or you'll hear someone else read and talk about a passage and you go, that's not in there. I know that passage. And then you go back to it and you read it and you go, it is in there. I never saw that before. So that's the point of step one, to read it slowly. And we're going to take the reading that Kathy did as credit for step one. So let's just assume that we're already there. And we'll move on to step two. And I guess probably the best way to do this today is simply to explain to you the experience that I had as I prepared today, because I chose to use this process to get ready. In fact, I've been doing this almost since January as I get ready to preach. What, what I really have felt led to do is for myself to be taught and fed by a scripture before I try to teach it. Um, it's easy when you know you're going to preach and it's Tuesday morning and you haven't gotten very far to just start prepping the sermon immediately as you read and think through, how am I going to teach this? But I just really felt the Spirit saying, don't do that. I want you to receive and learn first. And then once I've fed you, then you can feed other people. So that's been the experience. So I chose to use Lectio Divina to do that, to feed myself, and then out of this fullness that I have, uh, to pass that on to you. So um, here's some things that I saw as I read through it. First of all, the Lord is my shepherd. Lord, in the NIV, is an English translation of the word Yahweh. So remember, David was in uh, the time of God's story where God was not known as a trinity. God was simply known as one God. In fact, that was a huge emphasis. The scriptures say in Exodus, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. So in David's mind, there was no Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There was simply Yahweh. Yahweh is my shepherd. I lack nothing. If you memorize this psalm in King James, did anybody happen to do that? All right, Jane, there we go. Oh, yeah. People, everyone is, oh, you're pretty young for that back there. Amber, were you just a part of a, a church that taught out of the King James? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, I memorized it when I was eight years old. I was at my first vacation Bible school, and the goal for the week was if you can learn Psalm 23, you get something. I don't know what. <laughs> what I got out of it was I know Psalm 23 now. I'm sure there was some prize involved, but I memorized it in the King James Version. So as I read through it this week, um, the original version didn't say, I lack nothing. What did it say? It said, I shall not want. Now, as an eight-year-old, that was confusing. It sounded to me like Jesus was the shepherd I rejected, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So, uh, yeah, 
eight years old, comma. Ah. <laughs> but the good thing was, because it was, you know, I was trying to learn it, I had, what does this mean? Why do I not want Jesus to be my shepherd? And then, I, you know, it was pointed out to me, well, no, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore, I don't have any wants. I, I shall be without want. I lack nothing, which is a great translation. So then um, what I looked at this week as I thought about that, I'm sure that the writer is about to explain why there's nothing I need, why my needs are met. And so probably he's going to explain, and he does, what are the things that have been provided by God as my shepherd? And of course, this is a metaphor, and you guys know that David who wrote this was a shepherd, so he was super familiar with that metaphor. Probably any one of us could use the metaphor of what we do every day uh, to talk about our relationship with God. So if you're a stay-at-home mom, you could probably write a psalm about the Lord is my mom, and you could talk about the strengths and beauty and value of a mother and attribute those to God. Jeremy, I don't know how you would do it at George Fox. The Lord is my computer. Okay. My programmer. The Lord is my programmer. I shall be programmed appropriately. So, yeah. But for David, for David, this was easy because David was a shepherd, and so he uses that metaphor and talks about um, himself as the sheep who is cared for. So let's look at and help me find what are the provisions of Yahweh for David in this sheep and shepherd metaphor. What are the provisions? He makes me lay down in green pastures. So safety, comfort, right? Rest, yeah. Peace, uh uh-huh. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting that he says he leads me to green pastures to lie down. So not just to eat, but actually, as you've said, to be comforted, to be at ease, to rest. Jonathan? Yes. Absolutely, for sure. Such a big thing. So kind of in order, uh, as they show, it looks like there's refreshment. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside quiet waters. What are quiet waters? Yeah, they're calm. It's not the idea of stagnant. Uh, It's simply the idea of not rushing, not turbulent. So like if you tried to feed sheep on the Moppin River, that would be tough. Especially if you were there at Boxcar, you know, that Class 3 rapid. That would be a tough spot to get a drink. So the idea is these waters are calm enough that you can drink them. They're refreshing. I remember uh, years ago, I was in the Sierra Nevada mountains with my dad. And uh, it was one of my first trips with him up into the high mountains. He worked for the Forest Service. So part of his job was to go into the mountains and do surveying and check things out. And he took me with him on this trip. And before we left, he bought me this thing called a Sierra Cup. Scott, you probably know what a Sierra Cup is. It's basically a drinking cup with a hook on it that hooks onto your belt or your pack. And uh, I got to find out why he gave it to me, because when we got to our destination, there was a high mountain spring uh, up in the Sierra Nevada mountains, and he showed me, okay, this is where you use the Sierra Cup. And so we got out these cups, and we put them in this water, and oh my gosh. Grew up in California, so I didn't know about the Bull Run Reservoir. So I thought all water tasted like minerals, and it doesn't. (laughs) But I learned in that moment what's quiet waters were, just really refreshing, very cold, completely clean waters. So that's what that's about. And then verse 3, it says, he kind of concludes these words with this word, he refreshes my soul. The entire idea that life drains us, life makes us tired, life can be busy, 
And because our shepherd deeply loves us and has the ability to, he provides refreshment for our souls especially. Uh, Then the next verse, it says, he guides me along the right paths for his namesake. So what's that provision? He guides me. Guides me. Guidance. Good. Thank you. Yeah. Exactly. And it says along right paths for his namesake. So God guides me in the ways that are healthy and life-giving, the paths that are good to choose. So he gives me direction. Again, humanly, we almost need this daily, don't we? Aren't there moments throughout every week where we're going, God, I need some direction. What should I do? I have some choices to make. Uh, I have some, some people that I need to work with. What do I need to do? So he provides guidance. Then we go a little further. He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, notice this is a contrast because so far he's been talking about uh, atmospheres that are positive and life-giving. And now here's a contrast there are times when I walk through darkest valleys. So he's not saying that God never leads me into difficulty, that he always leads me, he always keeps me in the green pastures. He doesn't always do that, but life will have dark valleys. But here's the provision, I will fear no evil. And then as Jonathan highlighted, for you are with me. So what's that provision? Sorry? Companionship, protection, yeah. Yes, confidence. I would say courage is a good word. So in God, in the darkest moments, we know that we can have courage. And again, as Jonathan said, because you are with me. The key to because you are with me is knowing who he is, knowing that he is Yahweh, God of all gods, that he is the powerful shepherd, that he is the one who redeems and saves. So because this one is with me, because the all-powerful, almighty God is with me, I won't be afraid in that dark moment. So he provides courage. And then the last part of this shepherd metaphor says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So here's comfort again, but on a different level. What's the idea of rod and staff? Yeah, they're tools of the shepherd, which sometimes are weapons to protect. Yeah. Kind of too, the rod could be kind of a nudger when we're kind of missing the pathway or taking the wrong choice, right? Yeah. So these are the tools of God that lead us well and that comfort us. I can know that I'm loved because I'm being disciplined, I'm being protected, I'm being cared for. And even in this, David says, they comfort me. So in laying out all the pieces of this psalm, now one thing that you ought to know is the next line says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. We have just left the sheep metaphor. Sheep do not eat at a table, right? Number one, sheep can't sit in chairs. That's tough to do. They don't have thumbs, so they can't use utensils. So we've left the sheep metaphor, and now we're talking about people. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What it feels like to me is David was enjoying that metaphor, and it was working for him, but it had limitations. He realized that he is more than a sheep and that God is more than a shepherd. So he just took the psalm out of the metaphor into the experience of humanity. And so one of the things that we can experience as a human that a sheep can't experience is a banquet that God would provide for me with, in tremendous abundance even in the midst of opposition that, that God provides for me. And then secondly, he says in verse 6, you anoint my head with oil. And what does that represent? Yeah, honor is, is the central word here. It's honor. You would, you would anoint a king with oil. 
uh, to show that he is the king. So in a sense, we kind of anointed Kevin with oil this morning as an elder. We honored him as a, as a man worthy to lead. This would all be something you, also something you would do for guests in your home. Remember, Jesus said, you, you, gave me no, you didn't wash my hands or my feet. You gave me no oil. This is also a response of hospitality. So it's hospitality and it's honor. So it's showing us that God is also one who honors us if we will receive it from him. And then the conclusion of all of these provisions is just this beautiful line, my cup overflows. I have more than I can handle. It's just now it's just on the ground because it's so amazing. And then what happens in the final verse is we shift from, uh, David has been talking in the present tense the whole time. Uh, God does, God does, I receive. And now he moves to a future tense and he says, surely as a conclusion, your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So he's coming to a conclusion. God has been so faithful and good to me as a shepherd my entire life that I can now proclaim confidently that God will continue to do this as I look forward. And then ultimately, as I move on from this temporal life into eternal life, I will again be with God. So it's a very hopeful psalm, and it ends in praise in that way. So that would be this second step of Lectio Divina that's meditation, and it, it's the longest of the steps, and that's what, it, that's what it took us to look at all these pieces. You're just kind of putting everything on the table and looking at what the possibilities are. And then when you move to this third step, um, this is, well, let me back up and, and give you one more thing here. So let's read this together. Step two, reflect, meditatio. Read the passage again. Considering the words, thoughts, or images that resonate with your heart in this moment, what is the Holy Spirit breathing life into right now? I have something I want to share with you, but I want to ask you, as we went through those verses, if you could identify a word or a phrase or a picture that was particularly clear or encouraging to you, what was it? Just that idea of shepherd, okay? The quiet waters, okay? Is that like something you feel like you'd love right now? So, right? It's kind of what we need is what sounds good, right? Yeah. What else? Hmm. Yep. There's some purposefulness to it. It's not just selfishly for me, but I'm a part of a bigger story. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah. Oh, fear no evil. Yeah. He's given me courage, right? Yeah. Michelle? Yep. Yeah, and that feels like a conclusion to the whole thing, is that your response is relief. Like, my shepherd's got it, right? Yeah, totally. Suela? Yeah. My cup overflows. Like, okay, 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 yeah. <laughs> right, awesome. Peter? Yeah, the kind of feedback on Suela's the quiet waters and green pastures, that what God wants to provide for you. Mm. A beautiful, uh, not just safe and comfortable, but a green, beautiful, you know, true value to you as a man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, these were very um, picturesque 
very Pechoric's language, right? Yeah. So something that my eyes can take in, not just my mouth, not just my ears. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one other thing that I'll highlight that meant a lot for me was um, just that whole idea of I shall not want. I was remembering the King James days. And the word want stood out to me. Uh, and so as I go through and I see all these provisions, these are what God gives me so I don't have to want. But what it pointed out to me in my meditation was uh, many of the wants I have are in a different category. These are the wants of the soul of a person. These are deep wants. They're wants for refreshment or relief or courage. But a lot of my wants are for good taste and good something to look at. And I just began to realize as I was meditating that, in, that at least in my life and in the culture that we live in, uh, we are constantly given provisions for the wants of the body rather than the wants of the soul. And so as I read it, I thought, oh, I, I don't want to be focused on my body. I actually want to be focused on my soul because that's the good stuff. That's the really good stuff. And then in this meditation, I realized all of the really good stuff is free. So like I have access to comfort and to courage and to abundance and to guidance all the time. And I don't have to budget it, but it's relentless. It's overflowing. Whereas the needs for my body I run out of and I have to go buy more or I have to go watch another movie or I have to prepare another meal. So in this meditation, I was realizing and I was kind of given the choice. Do I want to primarily live my life as this body with its wants that don't all get fulfilled and whose uh, provisions are limited? Or do I want to live out of my soul where there's abundance and there's always going to be enough if I receive it? And, you know, it doesn't matter where you live. I mean, we could speak to someone in a village in Africa or in the Philippines or in Myanmar, and those folks would have access to all of these provisions we just read about, even though they wouldn't have access necessarily to the amount of food that they would want or, or you know, you name it. They're lacking many, many things. And, in, and for me, in my meditation, uh, I, was, I just realized, God, I don't want to live primarily out of my body and its needs. I want to live out of my soul and its needs. Not to say the body's evil or that those things are not legitimate. These things don't have to oppose each other. But the idea is which one takes priority? Which one has my preoccupation? Like, am I thinking all day long of what I'm going to eat next and where I'm going to get my next cup of chai tea and who I'm going to talk to next and what movie I'm going to watch tonight? You know, and in our culture, the reason I think our culture goes after that is because you can make money on those things. You can't make money on comfort. God's comfort. You can't make money on courage, God's courage, but you can make money on all the things that the body needs. And I don't mean to say that necessarily all of that is that people are evil and out to get us. It's just without God, that's our default, to live from the body. And, and in our culture, we live from the body. Most of the things that we Instagram and Facebook are related to our body, where I am, what I'm seeing, what I'm tasting, the experience my body is having right now. And again, I'm not condemning it. I'm just saying in God's kingdom, that's very secondary. And the primary thing, the experience of my soul, that's the deep thing. That's the important thing. And for me, a conclusion that I came to in this study was, I want to become aware and consciously live out of the depth of my soul and who I am down inside and not on the surface. And as I, and as I watch you nod and I think about everyone I know, I think most humans would agree with that. I think that most of us don't want to live a shallow life 
based on the experiences of my body and whether they're good or not today. We actually don't want to live there, but it's kind of the default that we give if we don't live intentionally. And this is one of the things that I would encourage for us as Christians is to live intentionally. When Tony was talking and praying today, he said some words that were kind of default words for him, and then he chose to be more intentional in his communication because he realized he wasn't saying what he wanted to say. And so he backed up and chose some different words, and those words were very intentional. We do the same thing with life every day. We can choose default actions or default things I'm going to do because it's just what we do. But what if we slowed down a little bit and chose really intentional activity? For instance, I get home, I'm really tired at night, um, and I I think, "Ah, I'm just going to watch a movie tonight. And then I think, well, is that what I want to do? Is that going to enrich my body or my soul? Depends on the movie. Some movies are soul enriching. I would say a lot of them are not. (laughs) But instead, this week when I came to that, I know this sounds lame, but I actually chose to read because I knew what I read would enrich my soul. And when I went to bed that night, I didn't go to bed as late, because I only read for an hour instead of watched a movie for two and a half. I went to bed really content and really full in my soul, because I had read words I wanted to read that, that inspired me, rather than watching a movie that made me want to be a superhero, which is never going to happen. So there's a choice to make. Okay, let's move on. So the next step in Lecto Divina is what in Latin is called oratio. Uh, oration would be an English word for that. And this is where we respond. And in this, there is uh, a commitment to pray out of what you just learned. So what would you imagine might be a prayer that I had after what I just learned? What would be an appropriate way to talk to God about it? Yeah, more. Holy Spirit, let me experience more. Yeah. My primary prayer was just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you that, that whatever amount of courage I need, you provide. Thank you that whatever I need to be comforted, you comfort. And I, I would say to you, especially in the last couple of years of my life, I have found and, um, this experience of I go to the well of the presence of God multiple times during the day. I used to go a couple of times a week. But I have found that I can go to God throughout the day and throughout the week constantly. So whenever there's any kind of angst in me, when something that's about to, is about to happen that I, I just don't feel good about, I go, okay, I don't need to go forward in angst. I can go forward in peace. Holy Spirit, help me out. I don't want to feel this way. Why do I feel this way? God, what do I need right now? Oh, I'm expecting something bad to happen because I'm looking at the situation. But Jesus, you're king. I could expect something good to happen because you redeem things that are bad. And so he's been changing in me, and so I find myself moving into things that I don't want to do, uh, wanting to do them. And looking now, not for what I expect to go wrong or be a bad experience, but looking for a miracle of something that I didn't expect to happen. And more often than not, that's what happens. And I'm realizing the key to experiencing God or not experiencing God is actually the disposition of my soul, because it's going to happen. The bad thing I imagine is probably going to happen, And the good thing God wants to do is going to happen, but which one am I paying attention to and which one am I going to receive? So in that, here's a good and a hard example. We have friends who have twin boys. Uh, The wife has been pregnant with twin boys, and complications, uh, they lost one of the boys uh, in in utero. And then last week, um, her water broke, and she birthed both of the boys, and one of them was not alive. And the other one... Um, they know his brain is not 
fully developed because when the, other one, the first one died, it deeply affected and injured the second son. And so they actually believed and expected that he would be born still, that he would not be born alive. And that's what they braced themselves for. <clears throat> His name is Levi, and he's now eight days old. And he's at home with mom and dad. And I've watched these friends of mine receive this, this, sorry, this week of life as a lifetime. And so they're doing with him everything that they would do with him in 80 years, in eight days. So they're reading, they're singing, they're having experiences with him, and they're just trying to cram a lifetime into eight days. Now that is receiving the valley of darkness with Jesus present, right? Because the bad thing that the doctor said to them would probably happen is happening. He probably won't live too much longer. Or maybe he'll live to be 80, which would be awesome. (laughs) But they have chosen to receive this with the shepherd at their side. And so they are content. And they are enjoying every minute and treating a minute like a year. And it's amazing to watch. It's humiliating to watch. But they're doing it right. Because they're looking at their soul and not their body and not what they're experiencing. It's not fair, it's not right, God, why me? They've struggled with those questions, but they've they've let God answer them and say, I love you, I'm here with you, I love Levi too. Enjoy these few days together. And this is how good God is, and this is how he shepherds us. So the, the response to me is, thank you, God. Thank you that you comfort me when I ask you to. Thank you that you guide me when I'm not sure what to do. Thank you that you give me courage when I don't have courage. Thank you that you comfort me even when things aren't going well. Thank you, God, that you, are, that you have given me more than I need. That your, your provision is abundant. And then finally, this last step of Lecto Divina is something called contemplatio, contemplation. Uh, this, is a, this is a space to receive. And I want to draw a contrast for you between meditating and contemplating, because in English, those are synonyms. I think we would say they mean almost exactly the same thing. But that's not the intention of John of the Cross when he gave us these four steps. So meditation is more mental, and it's more my own processing. It's my thoughts. It's my reflections on the Scripture. Believing the Holy Spirit is a part of that, but I'm primarily drawing on what I know and what I think. Contemplation in this context is asking God to give me thoughts that aren't my thoughts. So in a sense, you're saying, okay, I've thought all my thoughts. God, now what I want to know, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts here? And so set your mind and heart at rest. Give the Holy Spirit your full attention. Be ready to receive more grace. What gift is God giving you from these divine readings? And just briefly, what I want to focus on uh, with you there is this, and I already started to talk about it, but this whole idea of soul, um, that Jesus isn't primarily caring for my body, but for my soul. Shortly before I started reading this and studying it, I read a quote in a book called Centuries by Thomas Trahern, and he says this, you never know yourself till you know more than your body. The image of God was not seated in the features of your face, but in the silhouette of your soul. The knowledge of yourself chiefly consists in the knowledge of your capacities your passions, and your values. In other words, when God says, let us create man in our image, he was not thinking of the body. 
God, before Jesus was incarnated, did not have a body. God is what? If God doesn't have a body, what are the characteristics of God? Sorry? Spirit. Spirit. Yeah. Yeah, he's love. He's passion. He's beauty. He's creativity. He's unity. He's peace. He's thoughtful. He's responsive. He's creative. He's emotional. He's imaginative. And that's, those are the aspects of how you are like God, not in the body, but in the soul. So again, as I contemplated Psalm 23, the realization was to me, God, my deepest connection with God is a soul connection, not a body connection. It's not whether I feel good right now, but it's whether I'm connected to the God of gods. Uh, do I know that he's present with me? And so this whole week for me has been a dropping down out of life in my body to life in my soul. And then out of that has been living with my body in harmony with my soul. Does that make sense? So I'm living out of these deeper values of compassion and provision and comfort and refreshment, not just for me, but for other people, and then using my body to serve that. Does that make sense? So even in my eating, I've chosen to eat differently this week. I've chosen, I want to have energy to do these things. I don't want to, after I eat, sit down for an hour and a half and go, oh. And I do that fairly often. <laughs> At my age, your stomach is small, and it doesn't take much to overeat. And I love sweets, and those sweets put me in a coma. But my soul is like, what are you doing? I have things to do. <laughs> Why are you putting me in a coma right now? And so I've chosen to eat light, and I've chosen to eat things that give me energy. And what an amazing feeling. So see, I'm not dieting because I want my body to look good. It already does. <laughs> I'm dieting because I want my body to serve my soul. And my soul wants energy. And my soul wants alertness. And my soul wants strength. And I can't imagine this. I'm sure this goes on and on and on. But uh, yeah. So this was my experience in Lecto Divina, inviting God into the reading of Scripture. And what an amazing experience, right? Yeah, and I started it early in the week, and I actually went through these steps and stretched them out. I didn't do them all at one time. But you could literally do this with a single verse in about 15 minutes. So I encourage you to take that and tuck it into your Bible if you carry one anymore or somewhere in a journal and keep it with you. And this week, maybe pick a psalm out of the ones that we'll read starting in Psalm 31. Yeah, and, uh, and try it. Practice Lecto Divina and in- invite God to teach you through your reading. Any questions or reflections or responses? Nope. Okay. Uh, I want to invite all of us um, to move forward out of this learning and to say, uh, what if we were a church that connected just as well at the level of our souls as we do at the level of our bodies? So we have coffee and donuts, and we have a nice cool room and comfortable chairs and pleasant music, Um, and we interact in in politeness and kindness, and all of that is wonderful. Uh, Are we also, as a family, connecting at a soul level? Are we interacting and sharing on a deeper level of comfort and refreshment and healing and nurturing? Because we certainly have the freedom to do that. It's free. We all have the capacities within us created in the image of God. We all have the Holy Spirit. 
but can we, can we move into even deeper things together? And, and I think one of the things that that requires is more time together. So I look forward to the barbecue this afternoon together, where we have an extra hour or two uh, to eat together, but in the midst of that, to talk, to pray, to go deep, to ask one another questions. So let's follow Jesus into, into even deeper life together as a church. Let me pray, and then uh, let's thank God in worship for being our shepherd. Yahweh, thank you for revealing us to us that you are one God, but you are also three. Thank you for Jesus coming as a human being and showing us what it looks like to live in the depths of a soul and to live a life well lived. Jesus, we ask you as individual people and we ask you as a church to lead us to more to lead us to significant experiences and significant interactions that are more than a picture of a meal or of a moment, but, God, to deep exchanges of comfort and to deep receiving and giving of guidance and to a provision of abundance when one of us lacks uh, that the rest of us would would give more than enough. Thank you, Father, for inviting us into this. Thank you, Jesus, for doing the hard work of securing all of these blessings. God, I praise you that we can just receive. We don't have to work. We don't have to make this, but it's already been made. You've done all the cooking, and now you've put everything on the table, and you say to us, come and eat, come and drink. The table is set in the presence of your enemies. Jesus, help us um, interact and encounter you now as we worship. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for the life.